Hi, I'm Michael Croker, and this is Park Life. I've worked in the Australian theme park industry for a little over 30 years. And in this podcast series, I spend time in conversation with the people inside the business of making memories. Thanks for joining me. I hope you can subscribe, rate, and review. Enjoy the ride. For 30 years, Is It Entertainment has been a singular Brisbane-based entertainment company, providing a broad and immensely talented range of performers. At the helm is David Coombs. We've collaborated many times over many large-scale events, both across Warner Brothers Movie World and SeaWorld. Himself a seasoned artist and musical theatre veteran, David is a man of humility, character and commitment. His story is one of somebody dedicated to his passion and at the same time equally focused on flourishing artists around him. Here's my talk with David Coombs. You have uh, a terrific experience as a, as a performer beyond simply representing fellow performers. And we can talk about is it entertainment as a business in a moment. But could we dive right back in time and just unpack where your life in the arts began and what drew you to to that in the first place? Well, I was told by my parents that they took me to see Oliver at Her Majesty's Theatre in Melbourne when I was five. They thought I'd fall asleep, but instead I was on the edge of my seat. And that kind of was the start, although probably it started seriously happening by the time I was probably 10 or 11 when I started at the National Theatre Drama School in St Kilda. Um, and I was there really for, the, for all through my high school years. Um, and so it kind of kicked off from an early age. Where it came from, we're not quite sure. It's not necessarily anybody in our family, except I believe there might have been a, a cousin who was an ABC uh, radio announcer who unfortunately died on a, in a motorcycle accident in the 40s. Wow. But other than that, no other history of theatre. So uh, I've got the gene for some reason. Were there brothers or sisters? There were. I mean, my sister somewhat, I suppose, was artistic in the sense that she was a bit of a naturalist as far as pottery, macrame, and even a certain style of sketching that she used to do, all self-taught. Um, so she was artistic in that way. Um, but other than that, there was really no one else in the family. Uh, so it was kind of one of those things where I wanted to do many things. So I kind of wanted to be an actor, I wanted to be in music theatre, I wanted to dance, I wanted to sing. So it kind of steadily started with drama school and then learning piano at 13 mm. uh, and then starting at first modern dance at 14, which was a really hard when you're first getting into dancing for me it was because it kind of there wasn't a discipline and I think in some respects I work well when there's a little bit more structure so then I kind of moved moved into more classical ballet and jazz ballet and tap throughout my high school years uh, and then kind of started singing it around that 16 17 when my voice settled so and I was sort of all over the place like I was always keen to get out of school mm. from as in high school from day one um, so once I got to the end of it, I didn't really want to go to university or college, which maybe in hindsight might not have been the right thing. So I kind of, uh, I was down in Melbourne, this was the um, early 80s, so I kind of went to, uh, uh, went to drama school, had a singing teacher, I went to multiple dance schools for different um, disciplines. So I was kind of creating my own mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, curriculum. Why do you say, in hindsight, probably not a good thing? What do you mean? Well, I wonder whether maybe I might have got a little bit more um, grounding uh, or technique if I'd gone to somewhere like the College of the Arts, Mm. maybe. Um, But it's a funny thing being in the entertainment business because it's not always about what you are learning, but it's about what you're doing or performing and you kind of learn as you go along. Um, but I do wonder whether there might have been certain skills that I might have just been able to pick up a little bit better rather than the way I did it. Mm. Uh, and I suppose one of my main focus, even though I I dabbled in doing some TV episodes and uh, and commercials and the like, my love was music theatre, mm. which then I kind of moved into and then for most of my professional life, it was that sort of more that music umbrella, not always music theatre. Um, and I've been lucky enough when I look back that I've done a variety of, of different work. Um, and interestingly enough, I always found, particularly in the early days when I kind of left Melbourne, never knowing that in 1985 I was never going to go back to live permanently. Hmm. Uh, I kind of left on Boxing Day in 1985 with two suitcases to go up to Sydney to start rehearsals for Pirates of Penzance. And never came back? And never came back. Were you living with mum and dad at the time? Yes, I was. And, uh, and how, how old were you? I was about 24. Was that a, 24. How did they react to the idea of their son packing his bags and following this path? They were always incredibly supportive. Incredibly supportive. Yeah. They were running around every week taking me to dance class. Great drama class which was a half an hour away from where we live so incredibly supportive they love the theatre so I you know I I always would go and see shows with them anyway fantastic Um, they were subscribers to the Melbourne Theatre Company and we'd always go and see various musicals and stuff so I was very very lucky like that it was very easy and they were very supportive they said okay well look we'll will allow you to stay at home rent-free, but you've got to pay your way with everything else, yeah. including your classes, and so that was great. It's interesting, because my experience with my folks was slightly different to yours in terms of uh, acknowledging that that's the thing you want to do. It was more, you know, be very careful. That's a, that's a path that's uh, not many people make it on, you know? But then when you think about it, most paths will not necessarily be easy, regardless of which one you pick. No, and... I've heard of a few people that I've, I've met over the last uh, r- recent times that have kind of said, oh, my dad wants me to be a doctor yeah. or to do this and not follow my uh, my passion to be a dancer and I want to get on a cruise ship, for example. And I've kind of gone, well, look, at the end of the day, you're only 17. You're still so young. As a dancer, you're not going to have a long um, uh History, you're not going to have a long time frame as a dancer yeah, anyway. Capitalise on do your youth. Yeah. Do it. Because there's always time to go back and study, which we all do a lot these days, yeah. and it's easy to do, and then follow up that other career, which, uh, yeah, for, for the long term. But, but do your passion first, and particularly if it's short term, and uh, embrace it. When you made that move into state, was there a sense of fear? No. I think... I, I, found most of sort of what I've done has just kind of happened, mm. evolved. Like, I suppose I was ready. I knew I was going to do a job. I had no idea that I wasn't going to come back. Um, so I, I was prepared for I was prepared for that. Uh, and, then I, and then from there, you're immersed in that industry 
and you're seeking the next job. Mm. So the thought about going back, and for me, I suppose, and this is something else, uh, a lot of people would say, oh no, I'm not gonna leave Sydney, yeah. which is where I was for yeah. a period of time because I might miss out on work. Yeah. Um, and also family connections, but particularly the work thing. And I always thought, well, no, why don't you go wherever the work is? Because isn't that gonna keep you employed? So I did that when other people might be waiting for six months in Sydney waiting for that job. I was doing that job, but I didn't mind where I went. Um, but maybe for me too, it was easier that I was, uh, that the, the family connection, uh, even though I had, a, I was very close to my mum and dad, I didn't need to be in the same city, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. And I suppose at the end of the day, I've always been a bit of the black sheep because my brother and sister have always lived close to each other and then their kids they all live within a half an hour radius and and i have for the last 30 years have lived interstate primarily so just to ask you a question for those that might not know what is the what is the thrill for you with, with performance and i guess it's the same for a lot of performers whether it's musical theater whether it's dance whether it's singing what's the attraction did you do you do you know what you're chasing and why why it's a a thing that you have to do what's the Juice. Uh, it's an odd thing because <clears throat> I'm quite an introvert in many ways and uh, not a great, uh, I'm not one to talk about myself a lot. And uh, a friend of mine actually um, coined my nickname as BP, which was the Quiet Achiever. Yeah. Which back in the old ads of, for BP. That was their strap line. Yeah, yeah. The Quiet Achiever. And so I've always been the one in the background uh, just sort of chipping away. Um, and uh, so. There's a certain buzz, I think, mm. when you perform, mm. and a certain energy, and that you can remove yourself from possibly yourself. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think for mm. me, that's kind of what it was, um, because I, I've never felt that I've had an ego. I didn't necessarily need the accolades. I just liked the feeling when I was on stage, even though prior to going on stage, I could be a mess. But kind of once you get on stage, it all seems to <laughs> work. Yeah. Generally, so I think it was just that, yeah, that, that feeling of being somebody else and uh, and it's exciting, particularly with music theatre, when you're, when you're on stage, you know that audience there, it's dark, but there's so much colour and movement, it's just thrilling, mm. it's simply thrilling. That I don't know, I'm not a musical theatre guy, but I imagine that's got to be the most challenging of all those disciplines because it's... It's got that element of drama. It's got the, the vocal element in there. It's got dance hardwired into it. And you have to have all of that happening all at the same time, night after night. Did you find that thrilling or was that it? Because it sounds like you're a bit of a triple threat. You, were, you could sing, you could dance, you could act. Was there ever a challenge of having to have all those three engines running at the same time for you? No. No, it didn't, okay. it, it didn't seem, not with the work that I did. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know there was a few challenges leading up to getting the roles. Um, I remember clearly one time when I was down at the casino, because I was down there for three years doing the various floor shows, and uh, they had an American musical director who didn't know me come out, and he put me on the spot with one of the songs they wanted to sing me in the next, they wanted me to sing in the next show. And I couldn't quite cut it, because I was always a person that needed to be rehearsed. If you give me some time, I'll come back and then I can produce it. But if you put me on the spot, I can't. Yeah. 
So then he turned around to the producer and said, oh, okay, we, he needs to lip sync. And I was devastated by that. I said, no, I don't want to lip sync. I want to sing this properly, uh, but you haven't given me the chance. So give me a week and I'll come back and I'll pr prove you that yeah. I can sing this song. And I could, and I was able to do it live. He gave night. you the week? Yeah, he yeah. gave me the week and I proved myself. Um, so what was your question? Well, I'm just curious because <laughs> you got three... Oh, triple you, Yeah, you got three <laughs> engines running. Yeah, well, <clears throat> yeah. Well, just for those that don't know, when you say give me a week, what do you do in that week that changes the game? What are you doing? Well, I, I suppose for me, I, I, was, I was being more familiar with the song. I kind of knew the song, but I didn't know it well enough. And he took me by surprise. And so, but, but with rehearsal, like anything, you can come back and... You, you'd assume with the right skills or enough skills, you can present it properly, which is exactly what I did. So I mm. went away, I learned it properly, I, you know, I thought about how to perform it, came back, did it. Can I ask you a question? Is that when you're getting the vocals down, you have to then understand also lyrically what's happening in terms of story and narrative, right? So those lyrics are part of a connective tissue to the entire theme of a story. Does that then change the vocal delivery choices you have to make to ensure that you're not, no, not necessarily just hitting notes, but you're expressing the, the drama or the, the narrative through your vocal delivery? Because well, yeah. that must be, I can't even imagine what that process is like. No, and I suppose, and with music theatre, you are always telling a story more mm. than you are, if, I suppose, if you're a pop singer. Mm. So in a way, I suppose, you're not always singing it in some respects. Don't think of it as just singing it and singing it beautifully you uh, and at times you could either speak it or change the the emphasis of the word um, or, or, or the volume to try and I suppose create a bit more character which creates a stronger understanding of the storyline rather than being vocally perfect all the time mm -hmm. uh, so I suppose yeah that's how I kind of worked it so you're, you're interstate, you're in Sydney, yeah? Mm. How do you now start to get momentum for a career? Was there, was there a, a straight out of one show into another show? Yes and no. There, there were elements, I suppose, of having a, a couple of months or three months off. At that, during that time, you're constantly seeking out auditions and going for auditions and networking, uh, going to see other friends in shows and networking with those people to try and create connections. Are you working as well to sustain some kind of income? Yeah, look, I'm generally I was lucky. Only really for about six months I worked as a waiter at Pancakes at the Movies. But You know how classic that sounds. That's a, It's always a waiting story. I know. It, it, it is it's so always, cliche. It's, so it's a cliche, cliche, yeah. And it's true. But in some respects it's perfect. That's, a, that's the perfect cliche for that life. Well, it is. And I mean, you're out amongst people, yes. I suppose. So you, you, you're good at doing that sort of job. Yeah. You're engaged. Yeah. And people want that. I, I, can't, I hate it when you go into a shop and they don't even really acknowledge you or go, I oh, won't be a moment. I'll be with you in a minute. They, there's none of it's that. It's all connection. Going on. That's all that's connection. Right. Yeah. That's right. And it's, and it's not that hard to even just do a brief connection and then people feel, okay, mm. I'll, I'll wait. I'm happy to wait because you've acknowledged I'm actually here. Um, so you were prepared to do that kind of work and it, did you feel that there was any other thing that you had to do? You know, I've often heard, particularly people that have had careers in the arts, occasionally on different, um, in, in different scenarios, I've heard similar ways of expressing this idea of uh, there was no plan B, there was only plan A. I wasn't thinking about anything else I could do. 
you know, I, I had my parents say the same thing too. You can have a, have a fallback position. Then you would hear other performers or people that have had a life in the arts say, don't have a, fall, a fallback position. Because as soon as you know that there's a net under the tightrope, you'll allow yourself to fall. Hmm. I've never had a fallback um, position at all. Consciously or unconsciously? You never thought, hey, if this all goes pear-shaped... Look, I, yeah, look, I think unconscious, maybe it was unconsciously. I, I, I think it was easy for me. There was nothing else I, w I, I was interested in doing. So it was easy to sort of go, well, I can't have... I only do these things. I, this is what I yeah. want to do, and, and I'm go going to do it to the, the best of my abilities and survive in this industry as, as, as well as I can. But, and I've, I've been lucky, and particularly because a lot of my work has been long-term. So unlike an actor who is constantly auditioning for a movie or a TV role that actually might take up only three days or one day uh, of their life, uh, with the work I've done has often been six months, nine months, or with one of the casino shows went for two years. So if you can manage, and I've been able to do that, to pretty much go from one thing to the other, then you can look back after 16 years of that type of work and go, wow, yeah, that went better than I expected or that went well. That's, that's a pretty good mark to get to 16 years of that style of entertainment uh, and survive for that long. Can you explain to me from a musical theatre perspective in particular, I remember hearing Yul Brenner describe in his later years, he had done The King and I on stage for as long as yeah, he had. A long time. A long time. Thousands of performances. Yeah. And in the interview, he said, he was asked if he ever got bored. And he said, I can't recall giving the same performance twice. No, no I totally agree. I, I, How do you explain that to, to a lay person? Oh, look, I'll go back to doing the Hollywood Legends at the casino, and I never got bored. And that was two years, though halfway through, I did have a change of role. Again, it's, the, it's, it's live theatre. So it's, it's not the same every night anyway, for the fact that we're all doing it live and there are nuances or differences within each person's performance as well as the fact that the audience potentially is reacting in a different way. Um, so it's, it, to me, it, it's not the same thing every night. It almost can never be no. when you describe it like that. Yeah. No, because in a way, you, you, it's that funny thing, isn't it, when once that train has started, you can't stop it. Mm. until it gets to the end of the night and and you you never really know because it's live yeah how it's going to end up or, or or evolve throughout the night and things can go wrong but generally the audience would ha will have no idea was there ever a point in your life here as it's moving on where you came to a grinding halt like had a crisis moment of you know i've been out in the wilderness here a bit too long the work's not coming in i mean what would you say to young performers who might be listening that are particularly even musical theatre performers that may be wrestling with that that crisis of well, what 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 do I do if I come across a period where it's just not happening for me how do you how do you have endurance in this game yeah <laughs> look I think and I see a lot of uh, well X amount of young people doing this which is so important is if you can create a business out of what you do and I don't mean a the being in the business of waiting for people to ring you, but to create a business where you build up a, a company, you build up clients uh, to allow you to survive in this industry for longer, which is kind of what I've done. And again, it wasn't something that I 
thought that I would do. I, I fell into running a business as well, which for a while I could keep both sort of my music theatre or casino work going as well as being part of running a business to eventually getting to a point where I'm sort of running a business more than I'm performing. So I, and I, and I see quite a lot of people to be on the Gold Coast who are doing similar things where they are creating their businesses or a business out of their skills and then bringing in other performers as well. Mm. Um, and then for them, at least that gives them a, possibly some more longevity or survival in the game. Mm. Um, other than that, either the more skill base you've got or the more constant upskilling you can do. Uh, and also, I suppose it also comes down to marketing and and how you deal with people because it's very easy to get people on the wrong side or to burn your bridges. I remember studying drama in Sydney for a little while and we had a, and in our cohort in this particular class, we had uh, a NIDA lecturer come up, come by and take a workshop with us. So that, for those that don't know, that's the National Institute of Dramatic Art, obviously out of Sydney. And we were told this person's going to be very thorough and very honest, and it'll be a robust session. And we were doing some monologue work and we spent an afternoon with this person. At the end of the day, she was kind of wrapping up and she had this, this is a lady that had worked with a number of A-list Hollywood actors that had come through NIDA over the years that she'd worked there. And you had to pull that information out of her. She wasn't really forthcoming about it, but we knew she'd worked with some, what went on to become very big names. And she made this one comment that you know, some of you are going to leave here today, finish your program and you'll go out into the industry and you'll have varying degrees of success and some of you may have no success at all. Uh, to those of you that find success in whatever shape or form you find it, I'd just ask you one thing. When you go out into the industry and you find you're getting the work, don't be a dick. <laughs> and in that one statement, she said a thousand things. <laughs> she didn't elaborate and explain what that actually meant. She simply left us with this idea of, if you're going out there and you're getting the work, essentially be a good human being. Yeah, look, I totally agree. Um, and I, it's being a complete package as well, and it's not always about the talent, and we know that, because sometimes we can see people who do, do work and you go, well, why did they get it? But because they don't seem to have the talent compared to somebody else, but maybe, maybe some reason they've got it because there are other things that they bring with their personality or their performance skill. But, and particularly these days, you, you, you need to have the skill of a performer. You need to be a diplomat. Um, you need to be a marketing agent. Hmm. You need to be a costume designer. Uh, you need all those sort of things to be able to present yourself. So many people can uh, miss some of those points. So therefore, they're not that complete package, hmm. that sellable package. And I'm talking as a person who runs a company with some of the people I use, one of them who you know very well, yeah. Rhett, is yeah. a perfect example of how this performer has it all. Uh, and it's not easy. It's something you've got to be constantly yeah. working at. I mean, he's a, a circus-skilled performer, so he's not only is he working his skills and upskilling all the time, and I've heard this in some of your podcasts, where mm. you've, always, you've always got to be even if you're out of work, working 
sharpening your sharpening tools. Sharpening your tools, that's mm. right. Yeah. Because when it does happen, if you haven't sharpened them, you're not ready and mm. you can fall flat on your face. But also, there is that ability to market yourself these days. So uh, young kids have uh, easier opportunities in some respects than ever to before. What we had yeah. because of that marketing tool. Yeah. And because of all that imagery that we see, it's also really easy to know what your competitors or what's happening overseas. <coughs> Uh, so there should be no reason why you can't then do the costuming side as well, yeah. but not everyone does. It's um, interesting, isn't it? I, I've often said that, and I've worked with people that, uh, again, you scratch your head when you see certain gigs come their way and you don't know if that's a little bit of your own ego saying, I would have loved that gig. Mm. But often you'll find there are people that are highly talented, but lack a, a little hustle, mm. hustle in a positive sense for everything you just said, a little awareness around the marketing and a little knowledge of what are my unique selling points that I have about what I do, how do I capitalize on that. Then you'll find there are performers that have a whole lot of hustle and a little bit of talent. And the hustle usually opens up the doors mm. and you see, well, the, I don't know if I see a lot of that talent in there. But what they lack in the talent, they make up for in the store of hustle. Mm. And some of the finest actors I've had the pleasure of being around over the years uh, were unknowns. Uh, because it was all about the art and the craft, not so much about the recognition and the opportunity. It was, I just want to be up there doing it. Yeah. And rather than, uh, I don't want to go knocking on doors and shouting at people, I just want to live the, live the art. I've often said that if you can have a, the scales, you know, the one scale is equally weighted with hustle, the other scale is equally weighted with talent, away you go. Absolutely. That's That'll, You'll be someone outstanding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I totally agree. I suppose at least if you can get a mix of that or a little bit of each, that can still go a long way. Mm. Oh, I certainly have seen, I remember a dancer at, at Expo who, for me, I didn't think had had the skill at the time, but he, he had the passion, he had the guts, uh, and he he, um, he had, oh, it was another word, but I can't really say it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. um, and he has gone quite far right. with his dancing career uh, beyond that because he he he, he was a salesman yeah. he was a showman yeah. i suppose and if you're a showman you're bringing all sorts of other elements to to that talent or or possibly lack of skill uh, because you're bringing a whole lot of other elements to it which is just as powerful or just as strong anyway you mentioned expo and that's obviously expo 88 which was held in brisbane in 1988 uh, in queensland before we get to that, that point of the story, you're in Sydney, you're moving from one job to the next, you're, you're doing some waiting. When do you come to a point when you realise, and you touched on it earlier, where you realise, oh, there's another way for me to sustain a, a livelihood here and still be in the business. At what point do you start to consider that I can move from performance into management of performers and coordination of performers? Where, where does that begin to happen? And, and why does it happen? I wasn't smart enough to make that decision con consciously. Right. I didn't need to because it happened naturally. Because uh, basically what did happen is that at, when I went to Expo as part of the Expo Dance Company, um, I saw this fantastic roving company that was there for six months called the Natural Theatre Company and kind of fell in love with these characters. And roving the street theatre performance. Roving street theatre performance. Yeah. So after Expo, I then landed a contract at uh, the casino, which kept me in Brisbane, and so therefore I bought my first house 
in Brisbane. So my roots were beginning to... Can, yeah. I, can I take you back? Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to go back into Expo for a moment and just understand why that was special for you. So you're seeing these Rove performers, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine there's elements of the absurd there and these kind of abstract creative choices. And Expo 88, for those that don't know, was a melting pot of opportunity for performers from all around the country. I actually had an audition to be the voice of Knight Rider, the, tr the Trans Am, I think it was a Trans Am, the car. Uh, yeah. I didn't make it, <laughs> but they had the car there from Knight Rider, the television series from the 80s, and uh, I remember auditioning unsuccessfully for that. Uh, but I also remember making my way around Expo and seeing, I'd never seen street theatre on the streets before, and that was all new. Mm. You know, and here, I remember the, the guys walking around with the flower pot heads mm. in the business suits, mm. and... It was all really unusual, but it was kind of taking theatre out of its confines and putting it onto the street. Why does that captivate you? Were you aware of that as a thing before Expo 88? No, and that's, that is the thing. I mean, Expo was an incredible opportunity. And the fact that something like that runs for six months, seven days a week, and was saturated every day by roving entertainment and international performers coming out, which none of us had ever seen. And what were you doing there? Why, why were you there? Well, I was there. Funnily enough, I auditioned in Sydney. Um, I only did a singing audition as part of this company of performers, which involved dance, but I never did a dancing audition, but ended up being in the dancing company. Yeah. So mm. it was kind of weird. I never saw, I mean, I knew I could dance, but they never actually saw me dance. Although at first we were told it was going to be modern sort of modern um, modern dance style, which I really couldn't do. So I was actually quite nervous leading into the contract. But anyway, be, be that as it may, it all worked out well and we yeah. all came with a variety of different dance skills. So I was there for the whole six months as part of the Expo Dance Company. And so during this time, I saw the Natural Theatre Company who did do the flower pots, which I still, we, my company still does today. There you go. Uh, and, and, and that was the strongest image that just captivated me. Yeah. And I, I don't know, when I saw these people that were in their suits with flower pots on their heads, I just went, wow. And yeah. even though maybe today people would go, really? But yeah. back then, 30 odd years ago, yeah. that was like, that was amazing. When you said, you know, you'd spent, wow, we've done things here at Movie World with Fright Nights where we've conceived these ideas on the street. And I've had people that are working with me as we're collaborating on some of the wardrobes go, yeah, but why, Michael? <laughs> and so it's not so much wow, it's why. And I go, yes, that's the question. That is the, th I, I want the audience to ask why. Yeah, I why? want them to think about something. That's you know? right. I know. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's, they're thinking about something abstract, yeah. that I guess you, that obviously turned you on and, and excited you. Did you then uh, start to connect with those people and those performers? How did you then move that along into the next phase of your career? Well, pretty much I, um, after, after Expo and I was at the casino, I was, uh, talking to one of the people that was part of the performance troupe and she said, oh, some auditions are coming up because they've decided it was so successful that they're gonna keep the company going after Expo. So I auditioned, I got in. Um, I was one of uh, a troupe of about sort of 10 performers during that sort of 88 to late 89 period and the producer that kept it going after Expo then decided to sell the business. And so seven of the performers, including myself, went, okay, well, let's put some money into this business and, and, and keep the company going. So that's kind of how I suddenly also became a business person, running a business with with a number of other actors. It sort of it happened. 
Yeah. It wasn't a conscious decision. Yeah, it felt right. It, well, it, it, it felt, yes, it did feel right because yeah. I suppose here we had this opportunity. Uh, it was a known product. Uh, we already had bookings coming up, mm. uh, which, uh, so yeah, it was kind of, a, it, it made sense to me and I could still keep the casino work going. Right. Uh, so it meant that I could kind of be doing two things. Yeah. Uh, and then I suppose just establishing more of a, not a foothold, but I suppose just a, a able to survive longer yeah. uh, into the business. And I, and I sort of look back today, I'm still in the business and it's been 35 years and yeah. f that's pretty impressive really, isn't it? Well, it is, you're in a space of your own, which I guess is one of the one of And the by things. the way, I haven't waited since 1987, so. No, that's right. That's a good Yay. thing, that's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. But you, you never can tell, like we were talking before, you can have a reversal of fortune in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, you can. For another conversation at another time, I remember after Wonderland Sydney, I had a short period there where I was calling bingo at a local football club, and that was the gig that I had. Yeah. And there was a, a lot of lessons in humility to be learned. Hey, you jumped ahead a little bit there. So when you guys took that business over, was it a rebrand and a repositioning, or did it stay as it was? No, it stayed as it was <coughs> initially, because uh, we were pretty much just, we had a, a stable of, of 12 characters. Um, right. And a core group of actors that knew those uh, characters well, well, yeah. um, so it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was a really strong period for those characters back then, and we were kind of, uh, they were so well known, and they were kind of put up on a bit of a pedestal street theatre after Expo yeah. because it was so unique, so different, so special. There was just nothing around like that, uh, and then over time, some of the actors left, uh, and then we felt we knew that we had to branch out and be able to offer clients other things as well. So we kind of, and I still do, it's a combination of my characters, though to a point that's probably lessened. Uh, also that's because of the style, which is kind of another narrative in the sense that things have changed over the last 35 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we we needed to be able to offer clients other things as well. And so, tailor make you know, as well. Tailor make, yeah. uh, you know, we branched into all sorts of different things from sh shop front windows, murder mystery type things yeah. and all that sort of stuff that was popular at different times. Um, so it kind of evolved. I'm the there were seven of us and I'm and we had a Sydney business for quite some time as well. Right. But I'm the last one standing now. So <laughs> when does that business I imagine that is the business that morphs into is it entertainment? That's right. Yeah? Yeah. What year is that happening? And is that born out of the fact that you're you're left to be the last one there? No, no. I, so it started off as kind of originally it was a natural theatre company. We called ourselves the Naturals when we first started the company in nineteen ninety. We kind of floundered for a while with our name for a few years uh, and then probably by 93, 94 we came across, well what is it that we do? And the word is it kept coming up all the time yeah. when we were asking these questions and then we went, okay, well, what about is it entertainment? Even though some people thought, is that a good way to call, uh, a good way to call your name by saying is it entertainment? Because the answer could be no. Yeah, yeah. But we were confident the answer would not, more often than not be yes. So we thought, no, we'll keep with it, but we'll change the spelling and make it I-Z-I-T yeah. with a question mark entertainment. So that was kind of the, the rationale behind that. And so that kind of has been the fact since I suppose the mid nineties. And then by about two, th I went away to England for a year in 2004 
because I kind of wanted to pursue music theatre a little bit more. I had this dream of maybe getting onto the West End. I was going to say the West End. Yeah. Um, Did that dream come true? No, it didn't. Right. Uh, although another dream came true, I suppose, is it, uh, it's always the way. Uh, six months prior to leaving, I started going out with a girl. It was kind of, I said, well, this is bad timing because I'm going away to, to, to England in six months' time. But anyway, so she kind of thought that was pretty cool too. Uh, and then we decided to, to get married three weeks before we left and didn't <laughs> tell anybody. Yeah. Uh, and then went over as a couple. Um, and so uh, the, dream, the dream of getting onto the West End wasn't realised. The dream of going to England was, and that was also a strong passion. I was born in England, mm. but it came out when I was two. Right. So I'd never been over to live. Yeah. I just think I needed to do that. Yeah. Uh, and so when I came back, the opportunity was given to me that, look, the other directors had had enough. Do you want to run it by yourself? And I went, oh, I like that idea. Uh, I'm quite good at being my own boss, I suppose. I'm motivated. Mm. Mm. I don't necessarily need others um, around me. So that's kind of how that evolved. And that's nearly 16 years ago now. Yeah, wow. <laughs> What's one of the first things you decided to do when you took that business on? Because you were now Biz Brisbane based. Yeah, look, it wasn't in a good place at that stage. Mm. And we were in debt. The old GST had sort of got to us a little bit. We yeah, had, the new tax. tax. So, new tax, yeah. which came in around 2001. Changed everything, uh, I imagine. Yeah, it yeah. did. So I suppose uh, my first focus was to sort of, because I had to, actually, I was wrong about the waitering. I did actually clean for six months. You lie. I did. You Sorry lie. You that. went I've back. I tried to rub that you out. You went back. I did go back. I had to. Were you I, waiting or did you say you're working as a cleaner? No, I was working as a cleaner because <clears> when I got back from England and the, the the business wasn't quite where it should have been. Uh, so I needed to sort of get a little bit more income while I sort of worked the business back into a better place, which fortunately didn't take that long. Yeah. Took about, I, I suppose, a year, but I think I was only cleaning for six months anyway. Well, that's funny, a friend of mine that was a, a mentor in Sydney in terms of drama, I remember him saying to me once, you know, I want to make a book that is just the story of actors doing what they need to do in order to have a life in the arts. Because he had so many stories of people doing these jobs, whether it was you know, calling bingo or running a karaoke night or calling trivia, cleaning, waiting. Yeah. Whatever you had to do in order to do the thing that you loved, yeah. you did. Yeah, yeah. I and, know, I you know. know. Yeah. So you, you spent about a year doing that. The business starts to get some traction. And it gets traction how? How do you start to get that thing moving? Oh, well, because we'd been around for a while and we were well known, there were a lot of clients out there, but I think we'd probably disengaged ourselves a little bit with some. Um, and I've always been, I've always felt that my business runs well on um, word of mouth, mm. uh, which is an invaluable tool. Um, particularly when you've been around for a while, I suppose it makes it a bit easier. So it was really getting out there and engaging with clients again and making them realise that they, you, you had a, a number of good products that you were... Uh, I, I always feel my strength is that I get back to people quickly. I listen to people. Yeah. I don't take things for granted. I don't take any work, any client or for granted. Um, so I work hard as hard as I can, even mm. if I've been with a client for many years and maybe some might go, okay, I'm a shoe-in here. I never think I'm a shoe-in, doesn't yeah. matter how long I've been with a client. I've been around for too long. I've seen yeah. people disappear because they thought they were a shoe-in and they, you know, they're not. 
Uh, and I think that's kind of one of my strengths in a way. I'm just sort of organized, I'm focused. Uh, I get back quickly, which mm. I think this day and age is even more important. Mm. And it seems to be that weird thing where we have so many tools to communicate with, but even though we seem to communicate less in some respects, mm. um, and there is a bit of a, yeah, well, I could go off on a tangent, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so. I became aware of the of the brand as a young actor um, on the Gold Coast you know, way back in the day. I became aware of the brand. I was, I was keenly aware that there was this thing happening with Is It Entertainment. I knew the logo and you know, had my first agent on the coast as a, as a younger guy. And there was a period on the Gold Coast and in Brisbane where Queensland was booming in mm. terms of opportunity. And, sorry to butt in, no. it was the 90s. Yes. It was, and there was a lot of money. There was a lot of money. A lot going on yeah. in the 90s, and I think it was, and with that explosion after Expo, and corporates yeah. back then were f happy to s spend money. Spend their yeah. money with yeah. entertainment, and there were some amazing gigs. And uh, during that time, it always seemed to be a social every time you went to a corporate gig because there were so many people there. Right, yeah. But it doesn't happen now. No, but even. that was a honeymoon period, particularly in Queensland and this on the East Coast. Yes. You know, we had Mission Impossible was, was shooting yeah. here as a series, and and there was, a, I had a little bit of a run in a series called Pacific Drive That's as a, right. a drama a series. Going. Yes. Um, Dolphin Bay. Yes. and. It was there was just so much work mm. and i remember being aware of is it at that time and thought oh this is vibrant because it used to be if you want a career you have to do melbourne or sydney mm. there's nothing happening in queensland but for a period there it was all happening in queensland well and that, that's know? the thing because we, we lost a lot of good people who kind of went no i need to go down to melbourne yeah. and sydney some of them ultimately would come back yeah uh, and then some were able to come back but keep uh keep keep being a performer that was recognised down south anyway, so not many are able to do that, mm. especially back back then. How, what was your process of throwing out a net and bringing talent in under the Is It um, umbrella? How did you go about doing that? Because it's a diverse pool of talent that you have. It's unique too. Yeah, so how, do you, how did you secure artists? How did you strategically do that? More networking and just knowing who is around and either being able to see see their work or give them a go. Uh, I mean, the beauty about roving entertainment and street theatre, for, for, for young actors, it was a great way to hone your skills because at the end, and I, th and I think Dave touched on it in, his, in the last podcast. That oh, Dave had, Eastgate, yeah, yeah, in the last episode. Um, yeah. That you could go out there and try things and it... it if it didn't always work, you, you moved on to the next people anyway. And then it kind of, you, you, you worked it to a point where you either knew that worked or you pulled something out and you didn't, didn't use that. Yeah. So, uh, it, you know, it was a great opportunity to be able to you know, practice accents and, and that style of thing as well because you just weren't under the microscope like you were if you were doing a show or if you were doing TV. Mm -hmm. um, so, it was kind of, so I suppose we would give people a go, which is what I was saying or getting to, and some didn't always work out, um, but but many did. Did you ever come across, I hope this makes sense, did you ever come across yourself? Did you ever come across a young performer just looking to find his or her roots and have opportunity? Did you ever, because I imagine you would be fostering talent too, to a certain extent. Yeah, could, look, I, I always enjoy nurturing mm. talent and I recently had an experience where, maybe getting a little bit off the point, but I'm always happy to give advice to to, to performers because I think 
there are a lot of basics. You learn all the skills, but and a little bit like school too. There's a lot of basics like budgeting and all that sort of stuff that you really don't learn. Mm. But that's actually one of the most or is part of some really important things. You've got to get right in life, otherwise things can go yeah. a little bit pear shaped. And I think also a, a lot of basics when uh, you go to drama school or whatever often isn't taught. Um, and I recently had an experience with two girls, didn't know them at all. I, I actually had asked a friend of mine, I'm looking for some younger girls to do a street theatre gig. Uh, so I sort of put it out there and said, is there anyone who's interested? Uh, so he gave me um, these, these two girls uh, that I emailed. Um, so I didn't know either one. I didn't know what I was going to get. So I took it on the professionalism of how they communicated because mm -hmm. that was the only hook I had. That you had, yeah. And one did it really well and the other one didn't. Mm. Uh, and so I went, well, okay, I feel confident that we could start a, you know, start a connection here as a poss possible actor because at least you have this side well and truly nailed. Mm. Um, because, Interesting. Because part of, for a business owner, I don't want people to take a long time to get back to me. I yeah. want people to be clear. I yeah. want people to communicate because, as you know, it's too hard mm. if you're hanging around because mm. things move quickly these days. Mm. Uh, and so she got the gig and then when she came in for a, a costume fitting, she'd also talk to me about a few things about the character, which I realised she'd done the homework. Yes. And that's been thorough. And some people aren't always like that no whether they don't think about it or whether again their ego is getting in the way and they yes. think they don't need it <clears throat> but when you've got somebody who's you know coming uh, coming to you with a dialect question or a makeup question yeah. of that particular era then you go okay you've done the homework well said i remember being shortlisted for a, a lead role in a series that's no longer with us uh, way back in the early 2000s and on the second round of auditions went to the casting in sydney and the casting director was there and everything was set up for what I thought would be another shoot of a piece to camera. And as I went to take my mark, uh, the lady there said, oh, no, Michael, we don't need you to get in front of the camera. We've done that. Just come and grab a seat. So I went and grabbed a seat and sat opposite her with a group of people around her. And she said, um, so just tell us who this guy is. And I thought, thank God, because I, I had done the work. And we talked at length. It didn't matter if I was right. It just mattered that had I done the work. Yeah. And I remember being very grateful for the training that I'd only had just recently that challenged you to do the work, mm. you know? And it's not just about lines and a thought about the intent of the line, but what, what's going on in the moment before? What's happening in the moment after? What led to the scene? What's the journey of that character? What drives him or her in the first place? What sits under the the text what's the subtext and it was great to be able to sit there and comfortably answer that question rather than sit there and go oh well I haven't done any of that work because mm. she knew very well I get that you can recite lines and emote but do you have you done any work yes you know yeah. what's oh, going on under the surface so true you know so true and, and, and David I never got that part <laughs> so maybe I didn't work hard enough <laughs> but but I, I've passed that advice on to actors since that uh, you know what's the intention and have you thought about why you're speaking and if you don't know why you're speaking why are you speaking yeah. why are you there and it's often Who forgotten yes because that requires a little more work yes that's exactly <laughs> right it does yeah is it, uh, it has become a bit of a success story. We've done some wonderful work together on projects through Village Roadshow theme parks. 
I remember reaching out to you for the sole reason that I was, a, I was aware of the brand. I was aware of the look and the logo and what it was and can still remember reaching out for that very reason that I knew of that brand coming up as a, as a, as a younger guy. And then we began our relationship doing some wonderful things. Uh, initially, I think uh, Warner Brothers Movie World with Carnival in its first year mm -hmm. here and a number of other things since. And you've been a very uh, willing uh, partner to collaborate and, and co-create. One of my favorite memories of all in my 30 plus years is watching that first night of Carnival on the street at Movie World on Main Street. And it was our first year of that event. We didn't quite know what we had, but we kind of knew what we wanted to achieve. And it was such a specialized field of entertainers that we needed, which you facilitated. And it was big. And I remember watching on Main Street at the end, the final moments of the parade, where we wanted to create a Mardi Gras-based, New Orleans Mardi Gras-based street party. And the street was jam-packed, and there's over a hundred performers and samba dancers and Rio girls, and there were generations of families dancing like no one was watching. And the street was filled with all this joy. And it's still a very clear memory in my mind of knowing uh, we, we collectively created and facilitated a space where that could happen. And it was just human connection on a grand scale. That for me was one of those moments of realizing that particularly with your business that you understand all of this and the people that you had reflected that understanding. Do you remember that experience and what it's, that was like for you? It's funny you say that because if you'd asked me the question, what is one of your highlights with Is It Entertainment? That was the very example that right. I would give you. Yeah because it, it was an amazing yeah. uh, feel and atmosphere. I mean, the, the volume of performers that Village Roadshow uh, booked for this gig through, through me, as well as your group of people yeah, yeah. from internally in the park, uh, and then the floats as well, and then the lighting and the confetti and the sound, and it was just so immersive. There were so mm. many elements mm. to it, but uh, no, and, and it was a pleasure to be able to give you such a huge contribution with the amount of performers and mm. different skills, it was just an amazing feeling. It, it was. was kind of one of those things that you just don't quite understand unless you're there. Yeah. And I know the performers loved it, which is why some of them just kept on performing afterwards yeah. and, the, and then the general public stayed around as well because it was an incredible yeah. feel and par party feel and uh, it was amazing. It really was amazing. And it, uh, for me, and you described this before when you talk about making sure you're dealing with people that can give you the detail and get back to you. And for me as a collaborator within these businesses, that's the very thing I get from you is you'll talk about connectivity. How do we create moments? How do we set this section of the park alive so it's very memorable and it's immersive? And we did it just recently when we had Carnival over at SeaWorld in the last year. We were talking about these different lands being thematically a story of whether it's going to be New Orleans in this section and you were talking about okay well then I think the palette probably needs to look a little like this mm -hmm. and then the talent maybe is more samba based over here with the Rio bit and maybe we don't pollute the water at the Rio area. Subtle choices that you think you might just get away with but that attention to detail that you have has been one of the great things for you as a collaborator with us. And maybe that was a question I certainly had for you. What's one of the, the proudest moments of of your career. You highlighted the, the Carnival Night, which was a wonderful um, coming together of all of those elements. 
as a as a performer, I might be a little more specific. What's a what's a, a performance that you're very very fond of, where you can recall? This is me at the top of my powers, the peak of my powers in this role. Did you ever have a moment where you thought, ah, oh, this is as good as I think I'm going to get? Well, <laughs> I think there's a few. There's one. Well, don't don't be modest. No, I mean, well, <laughs> I never, I'm never one to have just like watch your watch your the, no, there should favorite be a, song or whatever. Yes, there should it be a multitude. Be a, it tends to be a multitude. But if you had to pick one. Well, I, I hark back to actually the first couple of years of my career, yeah. which sadly might mean that I peaked too early. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it was a, a moment in, in time when I was doing um, uh, the HMS Pinafore. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a nine-month tour with Paul Eddington mm -hmm. and uh, Geraldine Turner and various other yeah. wonderful music theatre yeah, performers, absolutely. Philip Gould. Um, and we were at the uh, Arts Centre. and. And this also comes back to the point of doing your work. Usually most of these shows that I did, I ended up being a, an understudy, which is never an easy role in some respects. It's that extra layer of, oh, I wonder yes. when that might be, that I might have to go on. This is two weeks into a, into a brand new show. So we hadn't had any chance to rehearse understudies at all. But I never wanted to be in a situation of not knowing the role so I had learnt it myself even though he hadn't had any rehearsals I'd learnt the songs the dialogue I was watching the performer each each night which is I suppose an extra layer of of of, of being in a show when you're an understudy and being able that longevity of doing a show there are other things going on particularly if you're an understudy you're yeah. also watching that yeah. as well getting back to what we we're talking mm. about in the beginning mm. but anyway so the performer this role was Dick Deadeye would enter the stage from um, from the the flies uh, on a rope, and he landed too hard. And this was at the end. Sorry, at the end of the first act, he landed a thud. Ankle. Yeah. Yeah. And I went, uh oh, because I was the understudy. So they came up to me and said, um, "You'll have to go on. We know we haven't done any rehearsals, wow. but you'll have to go on. We'll extend the interval, and we'll go through the numbers with you, and." That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was pretty full on, but it was about twenty minute, half an hour interval. They explained that uh, there was going to be a, a role, a, a performance. What was your change. state of mind when that was happening? Were you prepped? Were you overwhelmed with anxiety? What did I you? think it's a combination of things. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you're anxious. You you kind of okay. I haven't actually performed it properly, but I, wow. I kind of do know the work. It actually frightens me to think of that now. Um, I think when you're younger too, it's just okay. You just well, and when you're in the moment, you, you've got to. And this is life theatre. Mm, mm. You've got to deal with it. Otherwise, you, you let everyone down. And I suppose at least I'd done the work. So I went on. The follow spot. He, he, he was a tall guy, and I was a shorter guy. So the follow spot operator had to sort of um, bring bring the light ah, down because suddenly yeah, there was a completely yeah. new shape on on stage, yeah. which is something I always remember. Uh, but I got through it, and then because of his injury, I remained in the role for about a month, which was fantastic because it was also great to uh, to sort of get that chance to yeah. uh, grow uh, in that role. So can, can you recall, me, sorry to cut you off, yeah. but when you finished that performance that night, what was the general consensus from your, your fellow performers, from the director? What, what, was there a, a genuine sense of, hey, you know, thanks, and that was wonderful? Or? Yeah, they're all, I mean, I think in those moments in the theatre, 
there always is yeah. and there was because we are so supportive and everybody understands how hard yeah. that position when you put in that position is yeah. so everybody they're always going to be supportive and I, I remember you know all the principals were extremely supportive as, as, as I went through that particular season of three or four weeks for myself yeah and then went back to the chorus and that's the life of course it? you know yeah and then pretty much remained it so I, I think I might have I did that role a couple of more times uh, and then with a few other understudy roles I had in other shows um, I got a chance to go on which was great mm. um, but it's the beauty about the theatre and our industry there, there can be amazing support yeah as well we do support each other and mm, when it's needed together when it's needed there's no ego that drives you that's clear just knowing you and then for people that don't know just listening to you speak so what does drive you after all these years in the, in doing what you do? What what's your fuel? I'm good at getting up at the morning in the mornings, yes. and as I said, I'm kind of quite a good as an independent operator. So I don't need anybody to to tell me to get in there and get moving and and uh, and focus on the business. And I, I think that's probably that strength has allowed that longevity. Um, so in a way for me my focus or reason to, to get up in the morning is is to just want to be able to to work the business be on point as much as i can with my clients uh there's always highs and lows with this type of business of course yeah. um i'm not wanting to expand in a huge way i kind of know where i sit where i'm at and i think that's that helps as well kind of knowing where you are and mm. and and uh, and where you can position yourself uh, in the industry. Uh, so f f one of the most important things for me is to, uh, getting back to that communication again, is, mm. is really just getting on top of communicating and responding. Um, there's always a certain amount of marketing as well, but again, I find that that whole word of mouth is always coming back constantly. Mm. And again, I think it's just because they know you want reliable suppliers. Yeah. yeah. I want reliable performers. Yeah. If somebody lets me down, I'll give them one more chance and then I'll never touch them again. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah. It's simply not worth it. One of the things I get to do, and that's one of the motivations too with this podcast, was to capture stories from people that I know have great stories to tell. One of the great things I get to do is surround myself with people that are terrific collaborators, that are people of uh, high values, that value relationships, that understand the craft but also have an empathy for the artist. Uh, that understand also that in this business it's only about the guest experience and how do we facilitate memory moments for them. That's really what we do. Mm. And how do you immerse them and, and have them take away something that resonates with them for years to come. So being able to do that with someone like yourself again year after year successfully is a rare thing and I certainly don't take it for granted. So. I wanted to say thank you for making time to share your story here. Thank you for your collaboration, for your creativity, because it's made a big difference to what we do in these parks and it continues to do that. And that's largely because of you and then your understanding of the people that you bring in under your banner, which is just what you spoke of there. Uh, so thank you for that. And thank you for sitting down and taking us through uh, that incredible life. Thank you, Michael. Look, and you're always such a pleasure to work with. You know, you're, you're, you're a blessing as far as a client is concerned. So I really appreciate everything that you've also 
done for me as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Matt. We might now have to go for another hour and just unpack that and make a little bit more about me. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Matt. Much appreciate you uh, making time. Been terrific to sit with you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Dave. Cheers. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode. You'll find Park Life on Twitter and me, Michael Croker, on Instagram at Mike underscore Croker. See you next time.